felt led just from the Lord to, to have a message for the ladies. So, uh, if, if you're a man, then you can listen. And, but what I hope happens for you is, is really what happened with me in preparing this week for this message. Um, for me to capture a glimpse of God's care for the women in our lives. So, young and old, young men, men, let's, let's take a moment to, as we listen, as you listen, uh, understand God's care for the women that are in your life. So, that's what we will endeavor to do today. But, it, some of you might think, well, Jeff's got, he's got a wife, and he's got all daughters, so it kind of qualifies him <laughs> for speaking to all ladies. Well, this is, you're vastly outnumbered, I'm outnumbered in my house, but this is vastly outnumbering me. Um, I, I love, I was raised by a lady, I married a lady, got five more in the house. So I've learned a little bit, and the first thing I've learned about women in my life is that I can't figure them out. They're mysterious. Everything changes, and it's okay if it changes. And I should know that it should be changing, and I can't quite keep up. Still, I still haven't figured out why there's so many shoes that are necessary. But all of y'all go, oh, we know. I don't understand. I've learned that uh, women, especially in my house, are in touch with their emotions more than I am. And I cry. I'm a crier. But women are in touch with their emotions and... Everything touches everything. And it's the weirdest thing. Because it's, uh, um, they're upset about shoes. Well, why are you upset about your shoes? It's your shoes. Let's just, let's change the shoes. Let's put, well, no, it's so and so. And then said, they were ugly. And then they went to that place. And, and I went to that place too. And now I'm upset. What? You're mysterious. Everything touches. Heard explained once that. Uh, women's women's minds and, and beings are kind of like meatballs and spaghetti. Everything's all together. Where men are like waffles. Because you have a little compartment that everything fits in. And that's it. I'm all compartmentalized. And Kathy, Kathy's wonderful at this because she'll let me know that things need to be touching something else. I'll just think, what? It's, it's fine. It's just this. No. See this, and then there's such as that, and it's affecting that. And I go, oh... I see, so I need to pay a little more attention to the one over here. So this, the, the differences are unique. Uh, what I've learned about the ladies in my life is that chocolate is very good. <laughs> and it quells most emotional ills. And everything, everything that can touch chocolate is good as well. My, my mother-in-law has this chocolate fondue fountain that she got. It was amazing. I think Thanksgiving, she brought it out. And everybody's going after it. And they already had about six different things to put in the pot, in the fountain. And they're taking a little chocolate and eating it. And it's great. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, what else can we put in there? <laughs> and they're going to the pantry. Oh, what, do you, what else do we have that we can put in? Something's got to go in this. And they're finding things and taste it. No, that's not good. Let's try this. Ooh, that's good. I'm just kind of going, strawberries are good with me. It's fine. But chocolate is, <laughs> I had a few of those uh, Reese's peanut butter cups left over from the lock-in from last week and brought them back to the house because the girls absolutely love those, but we found they're sneaking them now. 
They'll all of a sudden climb up. You hear something quiet. You hear something going on. They're climbing up. I caught Amelie and Molly, both of them. And Amelie, of course, she's holding three of them. And her hands are so small that they're bulging out of her hands, but she's holding them like this, trying to hide them. <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, nothing. So all my girls are daughters of their mother. Love chocolate. But probably the most important thing that I've learned about the women in my life is to listen first, identify with the feelings, then solve the problem. In the first couple of years of my marriage, Kathy would it just be, she'd be trying to share something with me, and I'm seeing, okay, you need to do this, and this needs to happen, and then we're good, right? And she would just get... She would agree, well, yeah, that probably needs to happen, but there was just a frustration that was just kind of brewing in her, and, and it happened several times, and, and she just finally stopped and said, Jeff, I, I know you're solving my problem, but you're not feeling what I'm feeling about the situation. And so I would go, oh, I'm supposed to feel what you're feeling about the situation. So it happened a few times later that I'm just listening and she's just getting it all out there and listening. And I thought this was one of those times where I wasn't supposed to say anything. I was just supposed to listen. So I'm listening. So finally Kathy says, well? Well, what? What should I do? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was one of those listen times, not to solve the problem time. But you are, you are a peculiar bunch. You are mysterious, but yet very lovely. All the same. But this morning, if you would open to Luke chapter 10... We are going to look at what is probably a familiar verse and passage to many of you, but hopefully view them with fresh eyes as we, as we listen to what's going on and understand what's going on, as we identify with the feelings that are being expressed, and then we look to solve the problem. What's the remedy for this? And this familiar passage is the one of Mary and Martha, or this morning I would say it's Martha and Mary, because our emphasis will be on Martha primarily, which I believe is the, she's the subject of the passage. So let's follow as I read the, uh, chapter 10, Luke 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father, we are in need of your Holy Spirit in this moment. We are in need of illumination. We are in need of your grace, God, to understand what do you want to communicate to us about yourself. So, Father, we, we lay ourselves before you. We, we are prostrate before you. We are yielding our hearts to you, saying, Lord... Here I am. Take my life. Take my heart. Seal it for your courts above. And Father, be, be good to us this morning as we, we study and examine your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing I want to point out as we're looking at this passage is I think we need to take a careful approach to Martha. Because I think a lot of times Martha gets a bad billing. 
Because usually it's Mary's the one we need to emulate. Martha, she's out. Can't be Martha, need to be Mary. Even some, sometimes praying. Oh, and, and I've heard ladies do this before where they're, they're identifying, well, I'm, I'm just being Martha and I can't be Martha. I need to be Mary. And even asking God for grace. God, give me grace so I can be Mary and not Martha. And I think we're missing something as we look at this passage. If we're just, if we're quick to throw Martha to the wayside, Martha, you're just not supposed to be doing what you're doing. We need to be married. We all need to be sitting at Jesus' feet and, and gazing upon Him. Well, I don't think that's what Jesus is conveying in this message either. In this little, in this little interaction He's having with Martha, I don't think He's telling Martha to be married. Martha, you need to stop being Martha. You need to be married. And I hope as we walk through this, we're going to see a little of, of what that means. Sadly, though, it's, it, we, we find, I'm being Martha, I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. I shouldn't be Martha. I need to be Mary. She just seems to be the busybody that needs to chill out and be more like Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. But let's understand Martha a little bit as we look at this passage. What, what is it about Martha. You know, for this passage, we see it's evident that she's doing some things that are needing adjustment. Luke says in verse 40 that she's distracted with much servings. In other translations, says much preparations. She's distracted with that. And Jesus is telling her she's anxious and troubled about many things, which is in the next verse. But you know, Martha actually has done something very right in this passage. You know what she's done? She's gone out and welcomed Jesus in. Mary didn't do that. Martha did that. Martha is practicing the Old Testament biblical command of hospitality. You can look all in the, in the first few books of the Bible and find God telling his, all of his people, look, if somebody comes to your, to your village and they're not from there, you must welcome them in. And it appears this is the first time that Jesus is coming into the village that Martha and Mary are living in. That's the, the village of Bethany. He's coming into Bethany. Seems this would possibly be the first time or one of the... Maybe he was passing through before, but now Martha is going out and she's saying, please come. Now, with being hospitable means that you need to do things and prepare things in order for the guests to be made comfortable, right? Be very awkward for, yeah, come on, come on over. You don't have any food or nothing to do. Just come on over. Well, no, with hospitality, practicing that, it's, we, we want to serve our guests well. And you know what? Martha is doing this very correctly. But she's become distracted in her pursuit of hospitality. Her serving was most certainly not wrong, but rather very appropriate. But it appears that her serving was being done with worrisome concern rather than being done in faith. We can see that as she's, she's, she's distracted, she's troubled and, and anxious about what's going on, the preparations that need to be made and everybody feel comfortable and, and it seems that there was a worry more about the appearance of what was going on rather than what was going on. May, perhaps. Perhaps she was missing the opportunity to gaze upon one who would give substance to her serving. Perhaps it was, maybe she needed to take a moment and sit before Jesus and then when she's doing her serving, then then the feelings of worth come in and value and effectiveness and what's, what's, I'm doing this well and, and I know why I'm doing it. Again, Jesus doesn't tell Martha to stop doing the serving. 
He's not telling Martha to be Mary. He's telling Martha to choose what Mary has chosen. What is that? The one thing that's necessary. The good portion. Mary stopped to take in Jesus' presence probably because... And, and again, the, the area that, that this is all happening in, this New Testament, uh, first century, when Jesus was on the earth, things, word spread real fast. It's not a huge geographical area that we're talking about. Things are spreading. So Martha and Mary probably heard of Jesus if they had not met him already. So Martha inviting Jesus in, most probably had even, just at, at least, at minimum, just had heard about Jesus. And Mary too. But Mary seems to show the posture of a disciple first. And that's what I believe Jesus is commending about Mary to Martha. Martha, be a disciple first. And do the serving after you're the disciple. Maybe Martha was doing some things that really could have waited. Now, I know that there's a vast temptation with many preparations in the home to feel like nothing is ever just right, everything is not put away correctly, everything needs to be put, and it's just, and I put something in, and the kids go and they bring it right back out, and so we, we know this is it's an easy thing to be caught up into. I'm, I'm so concerned with the busyness, I'm so concerned with, with having everything just right. But Martha seems to be so concerned about having things just right that she's, she's not being a disciple first. You know, we can see, we, as you've probably read this passage before, I know I have, when, when we see the, the Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, and then Jesus commending Mary for what she's done, we, we see someone, at least I do, you probably do this, you see a, a young woman sitting there, and, and her, her eyes are so enthralled with whom she's looking at, and, and her ears are in tune with what he's saying, and there's a gaze about her. Possibly she's sitting there and her head's a little tilted as she's just she's soaking in everything from this man. It's not a posture of, okay, let me figure out what you know wrong. It's a posture that we could probably all see. She's, she's there and, and her head's just tilted and loving every moment of what she's encountering. It seems that Martha's gaze, on the contrary, was, was off of the Lord during, during this time and more on her tasks. And, and this gave her busyness a fruitlessness and a frustration. When her gaze wasn't on Jesus and, and understanding who he was that was in her home, the Savior of the world, there, then her busyness became, this is just this fruitless and, and, and nothing's happening and this is, this is not right. And, and, and Mary, who should be helping me, is not helping me. And, and that's just adding to the frustration that I'm feeling. And, and then it's not going to be done in time. And then they're probably going to leave and they're not going to be fed. And you sense everything building in Martha to where she goes to Jesus and then says, Don't you care? And this is a pretty big accusation. And the disciples did this once too. When Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat, Waves are crashing, and the boat's rocking, everything is just chaos, and he's asleep in the bottom of the boat, and they go to him, Jesus, don't you care? And what a, sometimes what a frivolous question that we ask, but what we need to be honest with is how often we may ask that of the Lord. Whether we ask it with our attitude, whether we ask it with our words, 
whether, whether we ask it with how we relate to the other, other people in our lives. We feel that somebody's not measuring up to us. We relate to them in a way that lets them know, I just don't approve. Could be a husband, could be a family member, could be a child, your own child. Could be anybody in our lives that you might be relating to that's saying, you're leaving me alone. You should be doing more to affect my life and you're not doing it. So therefore, with our relating and our attitude, we're telling God, God, don't you care? You don't care about me, God. Don't you see what what I'm in? Don't you see all that I'm doing in that my brothers and sisters aren't stepping up and... In her frustration, she accuses Jesus of not caring about her. And she also gives him the remedy. In her frustration, she says, Well, Jesus, don't you care? Tell her to help me. That's what needs to happen. Then, it might be a temptation to, when you're feeling frustrated about the things going on around you, to give God the remedy of how you need to be helped. But... That's not the remedy that Jesus gives her. And we're going to look at that in a second. But first, after we, we're now we're understanding Martha and what's going on about her. Now, secondly, we're going to identify with Martha. We're going to feel what Martha's feeling. And I hope this, this finds very particular application and identification in your life. Martha seems to exhibit three. I'm just going to pick out three. There could be a whole lot more. Martha seems to exhibit three feelings that are that seem to be oh so common with women. And those, those three are this, feeling overwhelmed, feeling alone, and feeling ineffective. Martha is very overwhelmed by the tasks. She feels alone. Don't you care, Jesus, that she's left me to serve alone? And she feels ineffective. This, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to work. And what's the point? Well... Just I thought just to identify particular things with uh, the ladies who are here in the different seasons of your life you are susceptible to feeling all three of these things all the time and so these three feelings that women feel I think would be feeling overwhelmed and alone and ineffective are not relegated to just the teen years or the 20s or the 30s or the 40s they're not relegated to that they all women seem at any moment in the season of their lives to be feeling overwhelmed and alone and ineffective. And I think that happens. The loneliness, I think, would be most prevalent with singles. Feeling alone. Holidays and, and weddings, for sure, become more of an irritation and an agitation rather than a season or an opportunity to rejoice with who you, whom you're rejoicing with should be question, will I ever be married? Or will I be alone for life? It's the old maid. I'm going to be an old maid. I'm never going to be married. Nobody's going to love me. I'm too ugly. And that's just the difference between, there's a huge difference between men and women in that. You know, if, if this was a mixed group, and I would say, just out, and, and we had all the men here and all the ladies here in the church, and I would just say, someone in here is not going to be married. Every, it's almost to a person, every lady in here will go, that's me. Every single lady, that's me, I'm just not going to be married. I'm just, I'm just over with. Just be a missionary or something. I don't know. But do you know how the guys process that? The guys go, yeah, it's him. Guy over there. 
guys, it's all about this. I'm too good. Somebody over there. But ladies are going, it's me. But, but there is a feeling of loneliness that is very real for single ladies. How about for single ladies, a desire to be more effective for the kingdom? You're, you're, you're wanting to be more effective. You're wanting to serve more. And you're wanting your serving to be effective for the kingdom of God. And, and you're looking for opportunities to do that. You're looking to, how, how can I serve the church more? And I just feel like I'm not doing enough. And possibly overwhelmed with finances. I, I just, the job, I got the bills. I, the older I get, the more bills I seem to have. And well, how about with the area, the season of single moms? Uh, you have my respect, single moms. You are heroic uh, in in so many ways. But I think for single moms, all of these feelings just go like this. You can't even separate them. Because you're overwhelmed with working and raising a child alone and feeling ineffective across the board. Feeling that you never can get your head above the water. I'm drowning in and this the work thing and I know I'm not spending enough time with my children and, and I know I'm... I, and it's ineffective and I, I could be doing so much more and training my son and my daughter for for the kingdom of God, but I just feel it's not happening. And even for the the white moms that we have in the church, perhaps overwhelmed with the pace of life and all the activity, the schooling, etc., never feeling effective in helping your husband or instilling gospel life in your kids, Always could be doing more. Perhaps feeling alone. If you have a husband that's not living the spiritual life he ought to be living. And so in a way you can identify with a single mom because you feel alone even in the context of marriage. It's just, it could be more and it's not. Overwhelmed with just all the things going on. You know, as I was thinking about this, I just got to issue a warning. I, there's, a, there's something in the air of the world these days that parents feel like we have to get our kids involved in everything year-round because they can't be idle. And we can find a biblical scripture and idle mind is like something, right? Devils. Is that in the Bible, right? It's not. We're, we're, we shouldn't be idle in our minds. That's in Proverbs. But all of a sudden, we, as parents, we feel like we just, we just need to be doing stuff. And, and we're driving ourselves crazy because we need to go to one thing and after the other. And if I took a poll of everybody in here who didn't participate in something year-round, first of all, you probably don't even remember when you were a kid how much stuff you did. And second, it probably wasn't year-round. And I don't think you're emotionally unstable because of that. So let's not get caught up in the pace of life when we could. Let's not be uh, Martha being distracted with the pace of life because we need to have, we feel the burden to have our kids involved in everything that the world has to offer. Some things are fun and they are good. I was able to be Molly's t-ball coach last summer. I loved doing that. It was great. They're not doing anything right now. 
We're not looking for basketball. Okay, and then basketball and soccer and, and then something else. And No, it, it might be very appropriate for you to say, you know what? Season of off time. Now, kids, you're going to learn how dad and mom rest. That's what you're going to do. It could be very appropriate. So make sure that we're not being overwhelmed by things that we're putting in place. And then uh, just doing a little search. I, I actually tried to look for, on the Internet, I did a little Google search for a bunch of different ways of saying this. Godly mothers of church history. Moms who instilled the gospel in their kids that were faithful in the home. And you know what? Found Zippo. That's wrong. They find one, which I'm going to quote from. It was Sarah Edwards. But it was in a book that Noel Piper wrote, a very a, a wonderful book, uh, Faithful Women and Their Extraordinary God, where, where Noel Piper drew out Sarah Edwards' ministry in her home as the primary vehicle. You know what you find when you search for women in church history? You find the, the noble missionaries, the ones who, who were a, a wife to a missionary, and they had five children die on the mission field, and, and of the stories of uh, Gladys Allward and Amy Carmichael that went to other nations, two heroic ladies, and took care of, at one time, Gladys Allward had 200 orphans that she was caring for. And it was when J- Japan came in to occupy her area of China right before World War II, and she, had, she was on the run with these guys, cool, with these kids, it's a cool story. She actually sent a hundred ahead and they got safely across a river that they needed to get to and it, the, the river, I think, was two days' walk from where her uh, orphanage was up in the, the mountains. Well, she has a hundred kids that she's taken by herself all the way over. They finally get to, they get to the river, they can't cross it, they need to jump on a train. So the kids are on the train and they're on this, this coal train. They're there and all of a sudden Japanese planes are flying over and Gladys is saying, we're gone. They're going to just drop bombs on us, and we're done. Well, because they, they had all fallen asleep, and as the train's going, the, the plane just passed right over, and Gladys is thinking, what happened? And she, she sits up and looks, and everybody was covered with the soot of the coal, so the, the planes couldn't even see them. So you, you hear stuff like that, and you're like, wow. That's just, that's God protecting the lady. She just had faith, and going to China, and taking care of so many kids. But, okay, where, where's the... The mom that it does a wonderful job at doing the laundry and training her kids to fold the clothes. And all the kids have chores in the house. And she, she may even spend the whole day schooling multiple children. She, or she's, while the kids are at school, she's at home making sure her home is a place of grace. Because we have, I believe, many of those stories in this church. Moms, you are doing an outstanding job. I get to spend time with many of your kids up in Children's Church when I am there. And they... They're special. Because of your diligence in loving them and in training them. And we want to do it all the more. That's why all of a sudden I'm feeling effective. Well, I'm just not doing, I'm not doing enough. I could be doing more. And yet we're driving and we're just listening to the radio and I could be talking about God in that moment. So there, even in, the, in a commendation, there's the feeling of 
I'm overwhelmed, and, and I don't believe you, Jeff, because I, I know I'm ineffective. But even at the stories of other women who are doing things better than you, they don't inspire you toward godliness. They inspire you to sin. Okay, you, you look at somebody else in the church and their kids are a little more obedient than yours, and you're thinking, all right, I'm sinning against you right now in my mind because uh, I can't get my kids to do that. How do you do that? But what about parents of grown children, maybe teenagers or, or perhaps out of the home? Overwhelmed with the future of your kids. Overwhelmed possibly with a wayward child. That's overwhelming. Feeling like your prayers and your counsel is ineffective. Feeling alone even when they, they come over to the house and, and things just aren't right. About the older years of life, and this is uh, just had this peculiar sense to write this down. So this ministers uh, to some of you, just in the older years of life. But you're overwhelmed with the sense that your life is slowing down, but the the things around you are not, and it's overwhelming you. About caring for others, sacrificing for sick relatives or elderly parents or relatives overwhelming indeed. You're, you're taking another thought process and introducing it to the one that was already busy in your mind. Feeling alone because other family members are not stepping up. Feeling ineffective in the church because you're always caring for the sick relative or somebody in need. How about in the season of suffering that some of the ladies in this church are in? Overwhelmed and distracted with pain. Feeling lonely when others feel so well around you. It's a weird feeling. I had a little taste of that last year with my nausea bit. It was the weirdest thing that I, I actually, I confessed this to, to Kathy and to the staff. I said, I'm sinning. I'm, I'm envious and I'm jealous of people because I know they feel better than I do. And, I, and there's, there's an anger that, that's stirring in me because I want to feel better. I'm not. It's a lonely feeling. How you feel better than I do, and I feel alone in that. Now, with all of these scenarios of how we've identified with Martha, the temptation now is to suggest to the Lord that He does not understand or care for you. And perhaps even try to give Him a remedy to the problem. But what was Jesus' remedy for Martha? Jesus communicates so Tenderly and effectively to Martha. Martha, Martha. Can you hear Jesus' tenderness in his voice? And you know, I so appreciate Romans 2.4 that says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that draws us to himself and, and invites us to draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. It's not him hitting us over the head. It's not him giving us a harsh word. It does not happen. But yet true True to God in his nature, he, he appeals to Martha in his kindness. Martha, Martha. And identifies, you are troubled and anxious about many things. But he says to her, one thing is necessary. One thing. What might that be? We don't know for sure because Jesus doesn't say this is the one thing. But maybe Jesus was thinking of what David thought as the one thing. From Psalm 27.4, which says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all 
the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Can it be that Jesus is saying to Martha, Martha, Mary, the gaze of her soul is on me. Martha, the gaze of your soul should be on me. The things you're doing are not wrong. They're not inappropriate. But they perhaps might lack substance and worth and value for you because your gaze is not on me. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed by circumstances, the remedy is to gaze on the proper portion, the good portion. When feeling alone and loneliness creeps in and the day grows dark and gray because there's just, there just seems to be no hope because you feel so alone. It's in that moment Jesus says the remedy is this. Gaze upon me. Feeling ineffective. God, is any of this worth anything? Is, is this working at all? Gaze upon Jesus. A good portion for you may be for you to find opportunities to turn your soul's gaze upon Jesus. Jesus uses Mary as an example, not, not to suggest that Martha throw off everything and be Mary, but to identify the gaze of the soul. Now, what I, I love Martha's response to Jesus, because it's not in this passage, it's actually in John 11. So turn quickly to John 11. I think this lady was profoundly impacted by Jesus saying this. Verse 20. Actually, we'll start in verse 17. This is Lazarus, who is Martha and Mary's brother, has died. Lazarus is, is, and Mary Martha, all three of them are, have become very good friends of Jesus. And he's died and they've sent for Jesus. Jesus says, when he knew Lazarus was dead, he said, we're going to wait and then we're going to go. Which kind of freaked his disciples out. But then, now when Jesus says, let's go because Lazarus has fallen asleep, we need to go to him. Now when Jesus came, this is verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Mary likes to sit. What if she's in the same spot as when Jesus was there? Maybe Martha really had something on Mary. She don't help me. She's just sitting all the time. Verse 21. Martha, and listen, listen to the faith of Martha in this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, Martha, do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord. I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That's a faith response to who Jesus is. Perhaps because her soul's gaze was now fixed on Jesus. It had effect in Martha. She goes out to meet Jesus, which is a faith response. She tells him that she knows whatever he asks, God will give him. And then she says, I know you're the Messiah. Yes, Lord, I believe this. Faith-filled responses because her soul was gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. In John, turn just the next chapter, John 12. This is, here we have a feast now where Lazarus has been raised from the dead and there's many people over and now we're finding out, and this is actually the account of Mary coming to anoint Jesus. This is right before he's going to be crucified and she's anointing him and actually this account says she's wiping, she anoints his feet and wipes her feet with her hair, with the, the ointment and the perfume. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So, he gave a din- so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And then Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Can, can we take a moment and look at Martha right now? This account doesn't say Martha was distracted with much serving. It says Martha served. I have a picture of Martha so overjoyed at being able to serve well and then watch her sister anoint Jesus for his burial, his death and his, his subsequent burial. This is a lady that's been changed by looking at Jesus. So how do we set our gaze upon Jesus? You know, the, the tasks will continue to call out. But a heart that is gazing upon Jesus will be able to do things the way God wants. Maybe not to the, the, the competing definition of effectiveness or significance. We, we always have a competing definition of significance with God. But we have to understand that when God says, this is what's right for you, this is what's good, we've got to trust that He really is saying, this is good, and this is enough. Because we'll always, even with God, say, well, God, you know, that's, that's not significant enough, or that's not effective enough, because I don't feel that. No, we, make, we need to make sure that we're not, we're not exalting our feelings to the point where God's voice is being ignored. But we need to identify Jesus identifies with Martha's feelings and then gives the remedy of himself. He doesn't come and condemn Martha's feelings. And, and when we're feeling things, you know, it, it's so easy to say, you know, I shouldn't, be, I, just, I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. God, take this feeling away. Rather, I think a better prayer is, God, this is what I'm feeling. Please identify with me as I know you have, but I want to submit this feeling to you and have your remedy take effect. Jesus, I want to gaze upon who you are. Choose the one thing. Choose what is necessary, the good portion. Fight for whatever glimpse you can get of Jesus and that will sustain strength for the tasks at hand. In the midst of busyness, in the midst of all the tasks, stop, take a moment, 
most things can wait. When it's compared to spending time with Jesus, most, most things can wait. But we need to adjust our schedules in a way that we make sure that we are sitting before Jesus, gazing upon Him. And then when we go to serve, when we go to the tasks, there's rejoicing and joy and satisfaction. Here's the example of Sarah Edwards. Listen to what Noel Piper wrote of her. Stresses over finances, distress at having upset her husband, jealousy over another's ministry, all those were real in Sarah's life. And God used those things to reveal Himself to Sarah, to show how much she needed Him, to uncover her own weaknesses. And then, when the almost physical sensations of God's presence came upon her, He was all the more precious and sweet to her. Sarah Edwards had, and, and this is recorded, Noel Piper writes about this, she had just taken in one of Jonathan Edwards, her husband, one of his friends, Samuel Hopkins, and invited him to come live in her house. So she is, she's got 11 kids, which was very rare, because usually back then they would all die, some would die, because they didn't have the, the medications to keep babies alive, but so it was very rare to have that many children alive. So she's got 11, that's, that's a newborn every other year. It's a lot. She's got 11 kids. She's got a man living in the house who's one of her husband's friends. These aren't huge mansions. And it's during this time that she has, that she had an experience when she was 13 years old that she was so captivated and enamored with God's presence that it, left, it marked her. And then when she was older, now she's a mom, she's a pastor's wife, and she's got a, a, a guest living in her house, she has another one of those experiences. Jonathan Edwards had just been fired from the church that he'd been pastoring in Northampton, Massachusetts. And nobody else was calling. They went for about 11 months with nothing. So stresses over finances were very real for her. She had nothing. They didn't know when the next food was going to come. I mean, the church was nice enough to let them live in the house that the church owned. But yet, she's going, what's going on? It's in the midst of all of that. She has this moment with God where it so captivated her. And Jonathan Edwards records it as she would be so overwhelmed with the presence of God that she would shake and she would tremble. And, and Jonathan Edwards would say, this mark that was left on her, he wrote that she would just, she had a look on her face that her meditation of God and her, her just those moments of even walking around the house her meditations of God shone in her face so much that he knew in her that was her sole delight. And she didn't care about anything else that was going on. Not care in comparison to God. And Jesus being before her. And her gaze being upon him. Sure, there was many things to do. But this carried her. This sustained her. Her gaze was upon the Savior. And this almost physical sensations of God's presence came upon her God was all the more precious and sweet to her because of what he had forgiven and overcome in her. He changed, her changed life bore the fingerprint of God. Let's stand up together. The band would come back up, please.
no matter what season of life you find yourself in, no matter what the, the distractions that come along with that season, feelings of being overwhelmed, alone, lonely, feelings of ineffectiveness, there's only one remedy that the Savior offers, and that's to gaze upon His beauty, to be with Him. You are first and foremost a child of God. That He desires to manifest Himself to you and through you. So when when Jesus is saying, Martha, Mary's chosen the good portion, come and gaze upon me. That's the remedy. So I, I would I would invite you. Because Mary and I think Jesus is telling Martha, come be my child. Come be my child. And enjoy all the benefits that come from being my child. Then your life will be the mark of faith and biblical success and significance. I would invite us to hear the tender voice of the Savior calling to you. And identifying with your season of life, whether you're a single, single mom, a wife and a mother, parent of a grown child, older years, caring for others in your suffering, hear the Savior identify with where you are. Because He cares. He does care. He does understand. Hear him calling you to himself to seek one thing. Hear, hear the Savior say your name twice. Twice saying something twice back then was in essence causing a person taking somebody by the by the chin and lifting their head to you like you would do a child. Hear the Savior lift your head and focus your gaze on himself Father please Jesus we invite you to be very personal right now to be very intimate right now Jesus we want to hear your voice and we we ask that you would take the gaze of our soul draw it to yourself please
again with every breath. Reserve it. I know you love God. 
that are all over this room right now who are being caught up in your beauty, God. Lord, I ask God on their behalf, Lord, on all the ladies in this room, all the mothers, all the sisters, all the daughters, all the grandmothers, God, that you would capture them. physically, but in our hearts sit before you. Just think about all that you've done. Think about your character, how good, how perfect you are, how holy, how majestic, how tender, patient, faithful. 
our sufficiency. <laughs> we love that, Lord. Be sufficient for our lives, God. You are sufficient. Your sufficiency doesn't change just because we feel overwhelmed or we feel ineffective. Lord, you are always sufficient. Lord, help us, help our minds, help our categories that we try to place you in. Lord, would, would we remember, Lord, would you remind us that you are sufficient for us? Yeah. Um.